0: Welcome to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast of the Illinois Air National Guard at Scott Air Force Base. I'm your host, Technical Sergeant Brian Ellison. The Roll Call podcast focuses on people, mission, and community. I'm joined in the studio today by Major Vivica Lane, the Director of Inspections for the 126th Air Refueling Wing. Ma'am, thanks for joining us. I said your first name Correct.
1: You did. Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: All right, no problems. This is the month of the military family and uh, military one-source family appreciation kits are available. You can uh, go on to the 126th Air Refueling Wing, um, their newsletter for airmen and family readiness. They have the link to that. Every kit includes a mouse pad, luggage tag, commissary bag, Chill Drill, which is an audio player and a phone wallet stand. It's a gift from Military One Source. Again, you can find uh, about discounts for treating your family this month. Again, go to the 126th Air Refueling Wing Airmen and Family Readiness uh, newsletter. You'll find out all the information about that. Again, we're uh, joined in the studio by Major Vivica Lane, the Director of Inspections for the 126th Air Refueling Wing. Ma'am, your, your title sounds very important.
1: Well, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to think all the jobs in the IG office are important, um, but as the director of inspections, I do uh, a lot of scheduling, um, so ensuring that we meet all the criteria for getting all the inspections done that we need to do on an annual basis, uh, whether that's calendar year or fiscal year. Um, I also run the wing long-range calendar as part of that, um, but the IG as a whole uh, operates as a team.
0: What exactly what kind of inspections are you doing? Is this part of the exercise? Like when we have an exercise, you're there doing that inspect you're kind of in charge of saying what the criteria are for the inspection?
1: Um, to some extent, uh, what what we're looking at is we've got uh, annual requirements that are either calendar year or fiscal year, and those are either bylaws um, or um, the exercises that we do. So for example, active shooter, uh, we're required to participate in those. Um, so I may not be planning it necessarily, but a lot of times I'll be out there in the wing um, while it's taking place, observing, and making sure that everything is being done uh, as uh, as it's being done um, and as safely as possible as well.
0: Now, you're a pilot by training, correct?
1: That's correct. I am a KC-135 instructor pilot for the 108 Air Refueling Squadron. So I'm on loan to the IG office, um, but it's, it's, uh, it's great because... The IG office is staffed with people from throughout the wing. So everyone that's coming in there is bringing different experience, whether it's, um, you know, uh, from operations group like myself. Uh, we've got maintainers in there. Um, we've got uh, FSS. Um, so it, it helps us when we're looking at the wing and we're looking at exercises and inspections to have that bigger sort of 30,000-foot 30, 30, view. Um, and then, you know, as a team, we can work together and figure out what makes sense I don't necessarily speak maintenance as well as I would like to, Um, you know, so when I come across something that pertains more to maintenance, that's when we pull our team together. Um, This is really helpful to have people throughout the wing working in there, Um, and again, helpful to have some of the best, really, quality people up there. So um, I would like to put in a little plug that if anybody's looking for a job uh, you know, maybe you love what you do, but you're just kind of ready for something different. Um, consider working at the IG office. It'll give you a really broad depth of experience that you're not going to get if you just stay in the same place.
0: What uh, What kind of people are you looking for? Rank? Is there a certain rank? Is there a certain job that you're looking for?
1: Um, you know, different different positions open up. Um, We've got one that's not currently advertised. We're still working on a couple of things. But I would, I would say for the most part, anyone that's interested in, in working up there, um, just reach out to us because we may have something for you, and that's on the officer side and the enlisted side.
0: That's good information to know because I, I know people are always looking, and th- that, you know, are always looking for a new job and looking for new experience and looking for that. Maybe that will help gain rank.
1: I, I think it definitely broadens your, um, broadens your your view of the entire wing. Uh, I mean, you could just never go wrong learning about other parts of the wing and, and what happens on uh, a bigger picture.
0: Right. What has, how has COVID changed what maybe you're doing up there?
1: Actually, um, <clears throat> you know, for the first couple of months, we were working remotely, uh, teleworking, and that was pretty difficult because as I've mentioned before, we really work together as a team. Um, I'm not saying you can't do teamwork remotely, but it's, it's much easier in person. Um, We actually had a vertical inspection scheduled for June, and um, because of COVID, we ended up deciding that it was best to delay it. So we pushed it back to August, and we had from June to August to figure out how to do the unit's first ever virtual vertical inspection. Uh, We expected that the report and the inspection itself would be significantly less robust. We'd get less useful data out of it, but we thought, you know, better to try something than not. Right. <clears throat> and we were just really impressed with how well the process went. And I, I think uh, looking back on it, um, the information that we got out of it was probably very close to just as useful, if not as useful, as having done one in person.
0: What kind of data are you looking for when you guys are doing these inspections?
1: We look at all kinds of things uh, from MCT compliance, iGems, um, you know, any any. Uh, regulations that that govern that specific program, whatever we're looking at. Um, But really what we're trying to do as the IG, we're trying to find undetected noncompliance. So a lot of commanders know, hey, I know my people aren't doing X, Y, and Z because we don't have the manning for that. We, you know, we simply just, uh, too many of my folks are deployed, whatever the case may be. So we're not looking for the noncompliance that the commanders already know about because, especially within this wing, Anytime that I've seen commanders know about it, they, they already have a plan. They're already taking care of it. We're looking for that non-detected um, or undetected, and that's where you can show your commanders, hey, you may not have noticed, but there's actually a problem with this. And uh, if you don't, <coughs> excuse me, if you don't take uh, action on it, you know that problem could could become worse. So um, we like to look at ourselves in the IG as we're kind of like a smoke detector we can tell you where there's a problem that you were unaware of. We're not a fire extinguisher. We don't put it out. We just give the information to the commanders after the inspection so that they can see um, issues that maybe they just weren't aware of. Not everyone's comfortable going to their commander and saying, hey, um, I'm not really doing these inspections on a quarterly basis like I'm supposed to. (laughs) But if we can bring that to the commander's attention and, and identify that, hey, you've got a manning issue here, well, they can use that information to maybe get better uh, staffing levels, bring in someone on a temp tech or temp AGR tour, orders of some kind. So hopefully the data that we're providing is helping commanders improve their units.
0: How low do you guys inspect? Like do you guys go down to a squadron and, uh, and inspect there? Or is it more of a bigger picture?
1: Uh, we absolutely go to the squadron level, uh, and we, we will even go down to uh, a program level. So we'll inspect, for example, the wing fitness program, uh, the government travel card uh, program. Uh, so we can look at anything from an individual program uh, all the way up to a squadron or a group. Um, I think the more beneficial information is probably at the squadron level.
0: Okay. Do people fear you when, they, when you show up? <clears throat>
1: Unfortunately, uh, AFIA, the Air Force Inspection Agency, kind of started a fear and intimidation campaign where they, they people perceive them as coming in and, and it was kind of a gotcha program. Right. Um, <clears throat> so it's taken several years for us to sort of transition to this. Um, like I said, we are in-house. We are here to uh, be that smoke detector, to find non-compliance that we can fix in-house before it becomes a problem that anybody else sees. So, you know, kind of kind of like a family. You fix your problems so that your neighbors don't see it.
0: <laughs> right. So this is a newer
1: program then? <clears throat> it's not a newer program, but the shift has changed from this more uh, sort of, I don't want to say aggressive, but, you know, sort of antagonistic program right. that, that existed in the past. Uh, I would say in the last several years, we've shifted to more of a, hey, We're on your team here. We're trying to show you how we can improve our whole family.
0: Right. Okay. Uh, Ma'am, let's uh, take a break and check in with uh, Master Sergeant Heather Wilde from the recruiting office. Master Sergeant Wilde, what's going on this month in recruiting? I heard you had some big news.
2: Hey, yes. So I want to first and foremost congratulate Tech Sergeant Rich Olson on his new baby. This is their third child. Her name is Sadie Lynn. She was born on November 3rd. So he's going to be out for the next 21 days or so, coming back at the end of November, beginning of December, um, enjoying his paternity leave with his family. So I just want to congratulate him there on their birth of the baby. We have a picture on our recruiting Facebook page and on our Instagram page for people to go check out if they want to see it and congratulate him. Um, also... I wanted to congratulate our four new enlistments or our four new enlistees into the 126 Air Feeling Wing. We had two people enlisted into the Civil Engineering Squadron, John Baldenweck and Alex Reim. We had one person go into maintenance group, Elodge Diouf. and then one more person enlisted into the Security Forces Squadron, and his name was Evan Starr.
0: All right. Well, congratulations to them. Congratulations to Rich Olson. Just uh, a big month in uh, recruiting. Heather yeah. Wildey. Yes, thank you very much, Master Sergeant Heather Wildey, the uh, recruiting flight chief for the 126th Air Refueling Wing. Thank you. Make sure you stop by recruiting. They have the massage chair. You've probably seen that on our Facebook page. And that is where the massage chair is. So go by. Maybe maybe Major Lane. Uh, she's here joining us from the uh, IG office, Major Viva Kalan. You can go by recruiting, ma'am, and, uh, and hang out in the chair, the, re- the massage chair. That sounds very nice.
1: I'm, I'm not sure that my uh, IG duties and ops group duties will allow me free time to do that, but uh, anyone that has time obviously should take advantage of uh, de-stressing in these stressful times.
0: <laughs> so, ma'am, got to ask you, why did you uh, join the Guard?
1: Uh, most people... Know the guard as a family. Um, I joined because my dad was in the guard, and I saw the benefits. I saw the community. I saw the mission, and it was all just really attractive to me. Um, I went to college for a year on my own, and uh, I thought, you know, if I'm going to do this anyway, it'd be great to get some help with it and some career experience at the same time.
0: Right. So, did you come in as an officer? So
1: I did not. I uh, I was enlisted for six years, so I spent. uh, I spent the first three or four years uh, enlisted in supply, uh, going to college, and then uh, once I was getting close to graduating from college, I started putting in uh, pilot applications at a couple units, got picked up at this unit, and uh, never looked back.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Where'd you go to college at?
1: I went to Park University in Parkville, Missouri. Uh, It's just north of Kansas City. At that time, I belonged to uh, the Kansas Guard um, over at Forbes, also a tanker unit. Uh, I did put in an app there and here at the same time. I got hired here first and, you know, bird in the hand.
0: Yeah. What made you want to be a pilot?
1: I think, um, as I said, my my dad was in a tanker unit. Um, He was actually a personnelist. And, um, you know, you'd come out for family day, you'd come out for holiday parties, and I just, I always saw those tankers and I just thought, that's a beautiful airplane. And I, I still think that today, I mean, it's a quintessential airplane design that that obviously has been flying for quite a while, will continue to fly for quite a while. It's a classic.
0: You, okay, so you are from you're Danish.
1: <clears throat> I am half Danish, half American.
0: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. so is that where your dad maybe met your mother? And, and uh, my
1: dad took a year of college in Denmark and oh. met my mother, and he uh, brought her back. and the rest, I guess, is history. But uh, so I grew up with a Danish mother, American father. Uh, my father was drafted in Vietnam, and uh, after Vietnam, joined the Army Guard, and uh, at some point, I think I must have been in elementary school or middle school, he did a project with the Air Guard, and immediately just thought, what the heck am I doing? So <laughs> he it took the first opportunity to transfer to the Air Guard, and uh, so that's kind of more what I grew up with.
0: So have you spent a lot of, have you spent, a, do you get to spend a lot of time in Denmark?
1: Uh, I spent probably off and on, um, during my childhood, I probably spent about seven years there. Uh, I'm still fluent in Danish, I did go to college there for a semester where I worked as the school's Danish English interpreter, uh, which they, they exchanged that for my tuition, which was great. Um, I, uh, I still speak Danish at home to my children all the time. Um, I try to go to Denmark once a year, this year, uh, our trip was, uh, cancelled, um, so hopefully, um, hopefully we'll have this pandemic under control and we can travel there next summer.
0: Ma'am, you, you just mentioned you're also a mother. How do you balance that? Because we, we seem to work nine-hour days at least. And then I don't know when you're out flying. I don't know if you're out longer than that. when you're. How do you balance that with your children?
1: <clears throat> yeah, I'm definitely, uh, um, definitely working quite a bit. I am here full-time. And then uh, um, obviously COVID notwithstanding, Uh, I do travel quite a bit. Um, I think it's really important for people to um, have that support on the home front. Um, uh, You know, there's no there's no way for for either a male or female pilot to have children and not have that support on the home front in terms of family, friends who are willing and able to take care of the kids while you're traveling.
0: Who does that for you?
1: So that's the kid's father, um, and he—he's uh, just fantastic for the most part. Anytime I need to go on a trip, want to go on a trip, uh, deploy, uh, he steps up and and takes care of the kids.
0: That's fantastic. It's always uh, and you know it's a it's a good subject because this is the month of the military family, and sometimes, you know, uh, a wise person once said, "It takes a village."
1: Absolutely, um, yeah. When I find myself out in the community in uniform, people often come over, and I'm sure many people have this experience. People come over and they, they say, thank you for your service. And, you know, for years I was kind of at a loss as what to say back, you know, you want to be polite and and just sort of say, oh, well, you know, thanks. Um, But, but in recent years, I've just started saying, you know what, I will pass that message along to my family. They're, they're working just as hard as I am.
0: That's, that's better than what I came up with, which was (laughs) my pleasure or yeah, or yeah, my pleasure. And then someone said, this kind of sounds rude. I'm like, well, I guess.
1: I mean, I, I tried to say, you know, thanks for your support. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um but but in recent years, like I said, I, I've realized that um, you know, that, that compliment really goes to my family as much as it does to me.
0: That's uh that's a good that's a good way to respond because I'm always at a loss. I think most of us are at a loss when someone says, Thanks for your service. And we'll hear that here soon because it's uh, we're coming up on uh, Veterans Day.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Veterans Day is a big deal in my family. I've got uh, at least three generations of veterans going back, so Really? My father served, uh, and my grandfather before that uh, joined the Army Air Corps in 1939 and uh, retired from the Air Force in uh, the Vietnam War.
0: Wow, that's uh, that's awesome. What did your dad do in uh, what your grandpa do in vietnam did he make it to was he just vietnam era uh
1: he was vietnam era so by the time he retired he had gone into recruiting
0: oh okay and then your dad you said he was a personalist was he a personalist in he said he was uh drafted
1: uh my dad was drafted into vietnam uh what happened was his draft number came up and he had been told that if you enlist that you'd have more options you'd be treated better so he went ahead and enlisted um, and in fact, when he didn't show up for the draft, the MPs came to my grandmother's house to get him. And she said, you know, he'd probably be happy for someone to come get him right now because he's in BASIC. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but he, uh, he was, he was uh, in Vietnam. He, uh, he was sent to uh, the defense language school to learn Vietnamese, and he went to Vietnam as an interrogator.
0: Wow, that's it that's very, and then he became a personalist
1: <coughs> um so he uh then he 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 had a, a short service break before joining the army guard uh, and to be honest, that was when I was a very small child i right. don't I don't really remember what he did for the Army I know he did field training mm-hmm. in in my memory quite a bit he would come home with MREs, which we thought was fantastic. Um, but yeah, he joined, he joined the, uh, the Air Guard there in Kansas. Uh, he was technically a personnelist, but he's got a PhD in political science. So they put him to use doing uh, some diversity projects uh, at wing headquarters or state headquarters. Uh,
0: he's my kind of guy. I have my, oh, I just have my bachelor's in political science and my master's in public policy. What does that get me? Zilch. My old radio station. My general manager would say, "Hey, thanks for getting those degrees. You're never going anywhere." Absolutely. <laughs> you said you went to college. What did you? Wh- I didn't ask you. What was your major?
1: Uh, believe it or not, I majored in glass blowing. Um, <laughs> when I was going through college, that is awesome. Uh, you know, it's it's it it makes for a great story. But yeah, when I was going through college, I was already in the guard. Uh, I talked to many of the pilots over in ops there and asked them, you know, what did you get your degree in and. And Kansas you know, is a fairly rural state, so a lot of them had, had ag-related degrees. And uh, one of the guys I talked to, who later ended up becoming the wing commander, he said, um, I have mine in grain science. And I said, does that, does that make you a better pilot in any way? Does that apply to your job? And he said, well, sometimes when I'm flying over a field, I can, I can tell what kind of plant it is. <laughs> so, so I took that information, and I thought, you know what? My, my life's goal had, had been to be a pilot and a KC-135 pilot specifically, so I thought if I'm going to do that, my one chance to just do something really fun and, and out there um, is now, and so I, uh, I did a lot of different college, uh, college studies, but I, I ended up having the most credits in glassblowing, so that's what I graduated with.
0: Do you still do any glass blowing?
1: I don't. No, I. Oh uh,
0: man, that looks so cool.
1: Yeah, the studio that I worked in my senior year of college, their gas bill was eighteen hundred dollars a month. Oh um, wow! So it's it's not really a hobby. It's yeah. You got to be you got to be devoted to that, and uh, as much as I enjoyed it, and I, I can very much appreciate glass when I see it in museums and places, um, but that's that's just in the past. <laughs>
0: There's a studio, I'm sure. There's a couple studios in the city. I think there's one in Soulard or South City?
1: There's one on uh, Del Mar. It's called Third de- Third Degree Glass. And, okay. uh, I haven't been there for a long time, uh, COVID and what have you, right. but um, you can take classes there. You can do things there, but um, I just really enjoyed doing it in college, and now I've just changed my
0: focus. Yeah. I used to like to go to Silver Dollar City and watch the Glass Blower there. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I I will say that when I have opportunities to do things like that, I do like to show my kids. I think it's cool for them to see that.
0: Yeah, that is very cool. See? That's why we do this podcast, to find out about yeah, this. Yeah, you
1: learn all kinds of stuff about people. We
0: would have never found this out.
1: So uh, I will put a plug in, regardless of what your degree is in or if you're working on a degree, if you're at all interested in aviation, come over and talk to Ops. We uh, would love to have new pilots from all over the place, all over the wing, all over the wing. You know, I mean, certainly people from outside should should definitely feel like they can apply. Um, but I will say that that hiring from within gives you a sense of this person's already part of our community, already part of our family. So if anybody's interested in that, feel free to come to talk to me or go over to Ops and talk to anybody over there.
0: Speaking of that, and you you work here with the 126th, but you're also with the 108th?
1: Yeah, How so, does that work? So, um, so I'm a flyer for the 108th. I belong to the 108th Air Refueling Squadron, mm-hmm. which, which is in the 126th Air Refueling Wing. Okay. Um, I am on loan to the IG office. Um, I think that it is in the best interest of every group, if possible, to have representation in the IG office. Um, I know right now we don't have anyone from the med group. And so when we have questions about how does the med group do things, you know, especially our med group, since they're kind of over there embedded with the 375th, we have to reach out a lot to them and get help. Um, I'm sure if they had the manning and, and could provide somebody, they'd love to have representation in there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, I'm on loan from the ops group. Uh, in the past, we've had other pilots on loan from the ops group. Uh, Colonel Jackson himself you know, was our first IG when we stood up the program. So,
0: so on, I know you're full-time, so you're, and during the full, t- during your weekday work, are you splitting your time between the two?
1: I am. So um, I, the way that the flights work is you bid when you're available, or for me as a full-timer, I, I just mark when I'm not available, if I have an appointment or a meeting. Um, <clears throat> other, otherwise, I'm, I'm working IG when I'm not flying, uh, or doing flying relating, related duties, um, but I might I might come in and work in the IG office and, and review reports all day long, and then go fly a mission in the evening. And if I have a student on that flight, then then I'll probably the next day be writing that student's uh, training report.
0: What is it you like about flying?
1: I like a lot of things about flying, to be honest. Um, but I've heard um, you know I've heard different different people talk about the zone. That, you know, like athletes, when they're really high-performing, they're in the zone. Um, or, you know, certainly fighter pilots, when they're, you know, um, when they're flying, they're in the zone. For a tanker pilot, uh, not all of our mission is going to be that intense. You know, there's certain parts where it's a little bit more like an airliner. We're sort of just cruising, <coughs> especially missions where we're maybe carrying passengers. Um, <coughs> but there are, a lot of, there are a lot of times during the flight where you're listening to three different radios, you're talking to your co-pilot, you're talking to your boom operator, you're coordinating a rendezvous and a refueling with another aircraft. Um, a lot of people don't think about this, but when that other aircraft comes up behind us and touches us, we're having a mid-air collision. So it's controlled, right? Hopefully. Yeah. Um, but almost every time we fly, we have a controlled mid-air collision. Um, so that takes a lot of concentration. It takes a lot of focus. It takes crew integrity, uh, teamwork, um, and, and many of these things are routine for us. Right. Um, and so it's almost like a choreographed production, um, that, that you have to be ready to on the fly change, you know, all kinds of changes happen, weather changes, turbulence, um, you know, receiver could be late, or you have to coordinate a new track, or maybe uh, they're not complete with their training by the end of the track, and so you've got to coordinate to, to do random refueling and drag them somewhere that wasn't on your flight plan. It's it's very dynamic, and um, I would say stressful, but you know, there there's good stress and there's bad stress. It's the level of stress that allows you to be a high performer, and um, I don't think everybody has the opportunity to do that in all of their jobs, and it's it's. It's fun.
0: Is there, can you feel, I always wondered, can you feel when the other plane is hooking up to the boom?
1: You can. Uh, and depending on the size and uh, aerodynamics of the other plane, uh, you'll feel it more or less. Um, it also depends on how quickly that other aircraft closes on you. Um, what What's happening is when you're flying in uh, close proximity, especially to a larger aircraft, is mm-hmm. it creates a pocket of... Um, um, Airspace between the two that actually pulls them together. Oh, okay. Um, so you've got to be really careful that they don't close too quickly, or else you're gonna, the planes will essentially get sucked together, and then your controlled collision becomes uncontrolled, which is not not something that we want to see.
0: No. Wow that that does that gives us a whole that gives me a whole new. Re- perspective on what you guys are doing because it looks pretty easy from the videos and stuff like oh look at that look how good they do it's like wow but to, i mean to really think about uh what you guys do it's pretty amazing
1: uh, i do i think it's quite amazing and and i will just do a little shout out here i also think it's amazing that we get to do it as much as we do because our fmc rates are so good our uh, our maintainers do such an amazing job, and I think that we don't realize how spoiled we are when we're at home. It's really once we're on the road and we step to a jet that's not our jet or hasn't been maintained by our maintainers, and, oh, this is broken, or, oh, this, you know, I, you could talk to any pilot. We have tons of stories about being on the road, and, and airplanes that you just know from other units are not maintained as well as ours. Um, so the fact that when I, when I go to fly an evening sortie, for example, here, the odds that I'm actually going to fly that jet are are really high versus um, maybe at another unit that doesn't have the same FMC rates that we have. So our maintainers are second to none.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And they, they had another banner raising yesterday.
1: <laughs> it's like,
0: at the, what is it four, five, six years in a row now that they've they're superior?
1: Yeah, I mean it's they've benchmarked all kinds of procedures over there. It's it's really amazing what they've done. Other units are looking to us to figure out how to replicate the same results, um, you know, I don't blindly trust my maintainers, but, but I have a lot of faith in them. And so when we're talking about an issue, uh, and I say, okay, well, you know, my, my book says I can take this yours says you can take it. What do you think? And, and if they say they, they're okay with it, if they're, if they're good, uh, I do, I, I do have a lot of faith in our maintainers.
0: What, it, what when you get onto one of our planes, is there an added, do you, do you just, an added, uh, what What's what the word I'm looking for? Just an added sureness uh, or an added confidence?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not a blind confidence. There are certain sure. things that our checklist drives us to look at, and then there are certain things that, as you've experienced these things in your career, you just know, hey, one time I saw this thing broken. Now every time I'm going to look for this thing. Um, so I certainly do a, a very thorough inspection, but I have so much more confidence in our maintainers than I do for just planes out there in the fleet. I know the kind of pride that our maintainers take in their work, and uh, it shows in the product.
0: All right. I think one more question, ma'am. I feel like I'm, I'm keeping you for a long time. Um, how did you become a, uh, a pilot trainer?
1: Um, I actually uh, – so the process, um, first you go through your initial qualification training, and then uh, at some point when your squadron commander and you're your um, – your instructor cadre deems appropriate, uh, you upgrade to aircraft commander. And uh, not everyone upgrades beyond aircraft commander to instructor pilot. That is something that is chosen um, for those individuals who, uh, when when I was selected to go, my squadron commander at the time pulled me into his office and he said, I've flown with you. I like the way you fly. I want you to teach other people to fly the way you fly. That's why I'm asking you to go be an instructor. And uh, so the instructor uh, program is at Altus, so you go back to Altus Air Force Base, and you go through uh, rigorous training at home before you leave so that you're prepared when you get there, and then a six- to eight-week course when you get there. And then you come back, and you're prepared to teach uh, new students how to fly. So I, uh, I was the first female uh, to ever be selected to do that for the 126th, and uh, very proud of that. And um, hopefully there will be many more after me.
0: All right, thank you very much, ma'am. That's uh, awesome. Anything else you'd like to add before we uh, move on?
1: Um, no, just uh, like to say thanks to everybody and to their families, especially for for the, what they contribute to the One Twenty Sixth.
0: Oh, you know what else, ma'am? Uh, by the way, we're talking with Major v, uh, Vivica Lane, the director of inspections for the One Twenty Sixth, to Air Refueling Wing. I want to say hello to everyone who is deployed. I want to thank them for listening to the roll call. Evidently, it's a it's a big thing that I'm glad we're putting this out. It's yeah. gives people a slice of home, they're telling us.
1: Absolutely. Um, hello, greetings to everybody out there deployed, especially as the holiday season approaches. Um, and, and especially, say uh, say thanks back home to your families for holding down the home front while you guys are out there doing, doing good work.
0: Yeah. If you're uh, back here in the wing and you want to send them packages, you can... Uh, You need to get those out in the mail. First class and priority needs to be sent by December 11th, I'm told. Priority Express Military needs to be in the mail by December 18th. Having said all that, they still can't guarantee that they're going to be delivered by uh, December 25th. I'm sure you you probably can't get your money back if it's not delivered by December 25th, but at least you know that you tried. I remember, I may be a little bit older than you, I've been in the military since 92. Um, well, on and off since 92. And I remember like having to mail it like it seems like the beginning of November if you wanted it there by Christmas.
2: You don't well, want to call you whether,
1: whether or not your packages make there by uh, Christmas or not, um, just know that those of us back home are thinking about you. And uh, I know for me personally, I've been deployed on more than one Christmas. So I know I know that's hard. Um, so thank you for doing that.
0: Again, thanks, ma'am, for stopping by. That's Major Vivica Lane, the Director of Inspections for the 126th Air Refueling Wing. Uh, you want to check out this video. We're doing a video podcast along with just a regular podcast to, to put them up on Facebook so uh, people have access all over uh, all over the place on socials. You can go to our uh, 126th Air Refueling Wing Facebook page to find out what is going on around the wing Oh, ma'am, before you go, I forgot one more thing. Our Ask an Airman that we put on Facebook every month. It's a deep philosophical question this month. I hope you're ready. What does it mean to be human?
1: Wow, that's definitely deep. Yeah. I think to be human means to have compassion. Um, I think the reason that I answered the call to serve um, is because I care about my fellow Americans. I care about my country. And, you know, everyone has different reasons why they answer that call. Um, but I think I think there's compassion in there for your fellow human beings for doing the right thing. And um, I think that that's something that, that makes us human, that makes us different than the animals. Animals don't necessarily stand up for and fight for each other. It's kind of kill or be killed. Um, we have we have families, we have values, we have things that we stand for. And uh, because of that, we're willing to fight for and protect those things. And I think that's what makes us human.
0: I couldn't have said it any better. Thank you major vivica lane from the inspector general's office she is the director of inspections you'll see her around the wing i'm sure even in your squadron uh she was doing a little inspecting around our uh place checking out the birthday cake and how did it did it pass the inspection the birthday cake
1: we don't uh we don't usually give the results until a final report is written um however just just between you and me i think it i think it's going to pass
0: all right, super. If you want to highlight something on the roll call podcast, send me an email one two six dot arw dot pa dot dot org at us dot Thanks again, Major Lane, for uh, stopping by and chatting with us on the roll call podcast. Again, thank you for listening to Roll Call, a 126 Air Refueling Wing podcast focused on people, mission, and community. I'm Tech Sergeant Brian Ellison.